I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey. You ready? You grab that right there. Are you ready? Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad ready? We came here to see Jet. What you got? Hey everyone, uh, how are you guys doing today? Welcome to another episode of the Clapback Block Show, featuring me, Joseph Young, and I'm my co-host and the man behind the wheel that pushes all the right buttons, Mr. Tom Gillis. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joseph. I'm Reborn, renewed, uh, my faith has been restored in Oregon football. Yeah, that's, that's lovely to hear from you. Finally seen that we can score some points. Yes, that's, that's very important in this day and age in the college game. So we we uh, the Ducks finally escaped a Friday night game intact, well largely intact. We defeated Colorado at home. I loved it. I loved almost every minute of it. Um, I did. Uh, I started watching it more out of the corner of my eye after after Chuck came in, but it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I loved watching our offense. I loved watching our defense. It was probably the most fun I've had watching Oregon football since the Auburn game. Mm -hmm. What did you think of it? Well, it was quite a bit of drastic departure from the previous games, play calling wise, where Arroyo looked like he finally opened it up a little bit in the passing game, going for four verts and all that and so it's it's nice to see that he has that in his arsenal rather than just his head in his arsenal yeah (laughs) yeah yeah the run game was working pretty well it's just the pass game it looks like they studied the coaching staff looked at my analytics post over the weekend and uh actually read some of it (laughs) Because Colorado analytically was very poor against the pass. I think they're like 115th or 116th in the success rate against the pass, defending the pass. So it looks like they studied my article. (laughs) And being down four starters on defense didn't help things out for them either. Yeah, the receivers did pretty well, including one Mr. Micah Pittman. He's, he makes every catch he's thrown to, so that that's uh, quite a quite a change from years past where Oregon receivers have loved to drop the ball for some odd reason, but now we have a steady hands guy, finally. Yeah, it was nice to see Micah Pittman uh, kind of be leaned on a little bit more. Nice to see Juwan Johnson get uh, more recognition in the passing game this week. Um, man, he's a big, a big fella. Um, I knew he was big just by looking at his stat sheet, but you see him out there among the other defensive backs and wide receivers. And he, he's a, he's a big guy. I'm excited to watch his game develop over the course of the next half of the season, half the season, Joseph, we're halfway through already. What do you know? Uh, Yeah, that's amazing. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) Yeah, my, I loved watching this game. I loved watching uh, us kind of get back into that bend-don't-break defense and just uh, kind of frustrating uh, Montez with, with our looks. And uh, eventually when it came down to high-pressure situations, we were able to uh, force him into making poor decisions, uh, kind of starting with that miraculous 
double batted interception in the end zone and then uh, just going downhill from there. Um, Colorado threw, they had more interceptions than points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most of those coming in the second half. Uh, and one of those going to Nick Pickett, finally picking it the first of the year. Um, yeah, finally living up to his namesake. That made me happy. Colorado did, they did put up kind of a fight. Um, uh, LaVisca Chenault was on somewhat of a pitch count, uh, just coming off of that abdominal strain. Cal did end up scoring 22 first downs, despite only scoring three points. We were doing, we were doing some things right. We're doing some things not great, but you know, 45 to three, it's hard to, to see that score and not feel really good about yourself. Yeah, and Colorado's offensive line, they were uh, pretty bad because the defensive line was all over them. <laughs> my, uh, my stats guy tells me that Oregon Ducks have the third best uh, defense when it comes to points per game allowed at 8.7 points per game. Granted, uh, the last couple of of uh of games were just uh, a a drudge fest at cal and then two mm-hmm. uh, significantly lesser opponents but still that's we're in the same conversation as penn state ohio state and wisconsin especially wisconsin because they have pretty much shut down everybody <laughs> yeah i wouldn't be surprised if wisconsin's defensive coordinator gets looks from the nfl pretty shortly yeah, he'll probably end up taking a head coaching job somewhere in a in a group of five team next year. Yeah. I would imagine. Mhm. Yeah, the one standout I had on my sheet was a uh, was the cornerback slash free safety Veron uh, McKinley the third. Mhm. He had two picks and uh, he played pretty well considering his first start. Yeah, first start. Uh, this is his senior year, so he's been patient, and yeah. uh, it paid off. Yeah, there was a couple of injuries in this game, namely to Troy Dye and uh, Javon Holland, who who exited the game, unfortunately. But uh, they're good to go, thankfully, this week. But uh, Hockey Woods stepped up to the plate and per- did pretty well. Yeah, he did. He was great in in everything that he was asked to do. Breland was not quite as lucky. Uh, He's out for the year, and he's going to be a little difficult to replace, but I think we'll be able to manage. Yeah, he's. uh, I wrote in my article today that he was a um, he was a John Mackey Award finalist, and he could have he could have won the award given the other the state of the other tight ends in the class. So it's going to be a huge loss. So I saw more Hunter Camp Moyer playing more so than the other ones. So that's something to bear watching as we go forward. My vote is for Spencer Webb. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully this game was on a Friday night, so we can enjoy the rest of the Saturday in in peace due to a win. (laughs) So what were your thoughts on some of the other Pac-12 games that we saw on Saturday? I, I watched the Notre Dame USC game and I can't say that I was surprised at anything that happened. Keaton Slovis was back and uh, they they played a pretty decent game considering it was a rivalry game. Yeah, USC played pretty well. It's just Notre Dame was basically able to out talent them eventually. Yeah, as on a, defense. They, uh, they played a pretty good first half of football. Yeah. Um, and USC got back into it, and Notre Dame pulled it out. They tried clawing back in it. Um, they probably could have made a, a decent effort of it. The, the late game push uh, was being made. If they would have recovered that onside kick, I'm sure that at least uh, it would have been a, a coin flip of a Hail Mary uh, pass yeah. to the end zone uh, to win or lose the game. And when you're playing the Irish, 
You don't want to have to rely on a Hail Mary. No. <laughs> uh, my stat of the game for this one is, uh, you know when the last time a Notre Dame running back fumbled the ball? Two years ago? <laughs> November 21st, 2015. Wow. That's a long time. Notre Dame running back has not fumbled the ball in 1,247 attempts. That is by far an NCAA record. Yeah, whoever the running bus coach is needs to get a raise. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one, the one thing I took away from this game is the meme of the uh, USC president <laughs> checking out the referee as he was walking by. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it was all over Twitter. <laughs> the one game I was watching was uh for Washington against Arizona. It was a it was a late game, so that was the uh, the tale of two Eason's. It was the yep. best of times. It was the worst of times for Jacob Eason. Yeah, Khalil Tate was horrible in this game, and also JJ Taylor is he's pretty dang good. <laughs> His pro comparison would be Darren Sproles because they're similar size-wise and they have a burst about them. Mm -hmm. Well, way back well, back in the day when Sproles was a younger guy, <laughs> he was pretty shifty as well. So, yeah, it's just Washington just pulled away at the end after Arizona couldn't get anything going. So Washington almost had a trap game, but they, they pulled it out in the end. Washington started out strong and then fizzled out there towards the the end of the first half and then came out strong again. It seems to be feast or famine for the Huskies when it comes to points. They can either not stop themselves from scoring or can't seem to get a score when they need to. Speaking of not scoring, uh, Utah just basically shut down Oregon State the past weekend. I think the score was like 52 to 7. And Oregon State 7 was basically garbage time. ESPN does this uh, this win probability tracker, which uh, gives a, the win probability of, of each team as a, a, line, a line in time. And it goes up and down depending on uh, who has a greater percentage of winning. And uh, this line essentially starts at about 70% and goes straight up to 95 for the first half, and then goes up to 99 yeah. for the entire second half. Oregon State didn't have a chance. Utah looked unstoppable. Um, they held Isaiah Hodgins, who's averaging 200, or sorry, uh, averaging 124 yards a game to only 77 yards. They held the entire team to 48 yards of rushing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Jake Luton, who was the the Pac-12 Player of the Week last week, only had 130 yards and one interception. That's a healthy, strong, and tenacious Utah defense and offense, for that matter. Yep, and I I read on Twitter that uh. The running back for Utah, Zach Moss, has like the most missed tackles this season out of anybody. So that's pretty impressive. And uh, Isaiah Hodgins was the uh, was a PFF uh, midseason All American. If you read my article today, so uh, I did. to shut him down. So to shut him down was pretty good for Utah. Definitely makes me nervous. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of another PFF All-American, uh, we have a we have another one in uh, Arizona State's receiver Brandon Ayuk. The Sun Devils took on the uh, Cougars this past weekend. It was it was probably the best game in the conference the weekend because Arizona State just came back at the end and scored a game-winning touchdown. It was pretty back and forth the whole game. Yeah, they cooped it. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, I wonder who, uh, who's going to be under the bus this week for Mike Leach. 
he uh, he didn't consult his Harry Potter uh, <laughs> fanatic to see exactly what the weakness of the Sun Devil was. Yeah. Yeah, Arizona State's quarterback, Jaden Daniels, he, he's turning out to be pretty okay for a freshman quarterback. Yeah, he's going to be a nightmare when the Ducks face Arizona State. I like watching Arizona State play because it's like how I play. Uh, that's how I play football on the PlayStation, where I'll just mm-hmm. want to play until the other team stops me. And then I'll go to another play until they stop that play. And then I'll go to another play until they can stop that one. One drive was four straight passes, four straight passes to Eno Benjamin. And then an incomplete pass to Eno Benjamin. And then three straight passes to Brandon Ayuk. Yep, it's just the uh, Brandon Ayuk's uh, impressed me a lot this year as a prospect. But we'll get to him later on in the show. All right. Yep. And uh, on Wazoo's end of the thing, end of the spectrum, it's just I don't know how they blew that game. They had it in the bag, but somehow they blew it. Because they're the Cougars. That's what they do. Yeah. You yeah, ask a flower just... why it blossoms. Do you ask the rain why it falls? No. And you do no. not ask the Washington State Cougars why they lose the game. In the fourth yes. quarter. Yes. They were up by seven <laughs> going into the the fourth quarter. Yeah. The coog did. Yep, there's another cooging. <laughs> so nationally, what were some of the games that you were looking at? The uh well, I started watching football on Saturday. Uh, I started at the Red River shootout and was flipping back and forth to the Georgia-South Carolina game. And I found myself actually watching more of the Georgia-South Carolina game than I did the Red River Shootout. Red River Shootout, uh, aptly named, uh, lots of points. I noticed a couple of things during that game uh, that uh, Jalen Hurts can be human. He had a few great runs with his legs. He made a few good passes, but he also fumbled the ball. He also ended got intercepted. He looked very, very above average. And if it wasn't for uh, his plethora of offensive weapons, I fear that he would have been really exposed uh, during this game because mm-hmm. Texas was doing a good job of, of maintaining offensive line pressure. Um, I don't think they got to him. Uh, and that doesn't show up on the stat sheet but they definitely made him feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a, it was a first game that where I've seen where Hurts actually became Alabama Jalen Hurts instead of the Oklahoma version where he's been lighting it up. It's just the uh, Texas had a game plan for him, and we'll see how, how other teams game plan for him. Well, now they have to game plan for him and for C.D. Lamb, who just yeah. lit the field on fire. There was one pass that was right up the middle to C.D., and he caught it surrounded by five Texas defenders <laughs> and ran in essentially untouched to the mm-hmm. end zone. Yeah, Texas has the worst secondary in college football this year. I'll say that. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it, I wrote about C.D. Lamb in my draft cut crack article. So he he's, should be a known commodity by now, given last year he blew up as well. So, yeah, this year I think he's pretty much a solid bet to win the Blitnikoff, I think, if he keeps on doing what he's doing. Yeah, at the end, the game-winning touchdown, I believe, he uh, he basically Michael crowdtree Texas. <laughs> and scored. I'm sorry, Texas fans that are listening that have flashbacks to that horrible moment, but you know that that's the truth. I'm not sorry. Yeah, what's funny about this game was that um, everybody on both teams got flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct before the game even started. So one more one more unsportsmanlike conduct flag would have got. And it's somebody kicked out. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, that was a it was a very serious way to start the game. And yeah. thankfully nobody had to get kicked out of the game. But yeah. it definitely added that extra level of tension yeah. that made the game so much more fun to watch, I think. Uh so then going back to the the Georgia South Carolina game. Uh South Carolina at one point was a twenty or a yeah, twenty-eight point underdog to Georgia. They mm-hmm. went into Georgia, they out Georgia, Georgia, in Georgia, yeah. with a third-string quarterback. Yeah, it's just the the end of the game was a giant mess for each side. They wanted to lose <laughs> so badly. It's just the it, I don't know what they were doing at any point during the last five minutes of the game. It this seemed to be the week for the quarterbacks who haven't had a brain fart yet to brain fart. Yeah. Uh, this was Jake Fromm and Jalen Hurts' brain fart week. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like Jacob Eason's been having brain farts all week, all, all season. But this was, I, I want to say this was Jake Fromm's brain fart week. He uh, has never thrown a three interception game and he threw three interceptions to one person in this game. Yeah. Um, one including a pick six. Yeah, that's his first pick six he's ever thrown as well. This was the first time he's thrown more than 40 passes a game. Georgia was exposed in as much as they don't really have an offensive threat that can stretch the field beyond DeAndre Swift. Mm-hmm. Um, all their receivers seem to be possession receivers and not speed receivers. And so all South Carolina did was stack the middle of the field and bring pressure up the middle to force Jake Fromm into throwing it into coverage, which yeah. will now be the blueprint to defeat the then-ranked number three Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how they fare against down the road against uh, Florida and Auburn, much less Alabama in the SEC title game. If they make it. Yeah. Right now, it looks like uh, Florida is putting up a much better fight to be the mm-hmm. SEC East representative. And I think right now, actually, Missouri is... Uh, on top of the SEC East. But yeah. They have a postseason. Surprising. Back. Yeah, they're appealing it, but, you know, you know how the NCAA works. We all love the NCAA, and it's a incompetency. <laughs> um, Speaking of Florida, they played a pretty good game against LSU, but LSU just overpowered them. There was lots of pain in this game, I'll say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Florida's pass rush was non-existent. Um, yeah, I was counting on them to be the team to be able to get pressure on Jake Fromm with uh, the two big guys they have up front there. Um, it doesn't help when their top two pass rushers just go out of the game with injury. Yeah, that's probably it. Mm-hmm. That's probably it. Um, yeah, LSU is good. LSU's really yeah. good. Um, I've, I thought they were pretty good coming into the season. Um, I just didn't think they are going to be this good. Their defense is stifling, and when Joe Burrow was on, he's practically unstoppable. Um, he threw for almost 300 yards against a pretty solid Florida defense. Their running back, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, had two touchdowns, and 10 yards a carry. Yep. Um, it seemed like Florida gave up. LSU, it was a close game, uh, and then LSU just put their foot on the gas to finish it out. They scored the last 21 points and wanted to make a statement that they are, in fact, back. Yeah, so there's a saying on, a, there's a hashtag on Titans Twitter Hashtag Titans Twitter, um, uh, where it's 
everybody is trying to decide uh, on an, on the next quarterback. It's a little bit of foreshadowing here on the on the next segment of the show. Um, it's uh, Joe. The hashtag is Joe Bros Twenty Twenty because they all have their hearts set on Joe Burrow and their new offensive coordinator Joe Brady, who came over from the Saints, and he's been helping uh, LSU have a finally have a good pass game for once. So we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> When LSU faces Alabama, mm, the one versus two. Yeah. Um, were there any other games that you were watching this weekend? Uh, probably the the two classic Big Ten battles where not much offense was had. Well, the the one main one I watched was Penn State against Iowa, where it was a classic Big Ten slobber knocker. Uh, Penn State won 17 to 10, I believe it was. 17 to 12. Iowa didn't score a touchdown. Yeah. And usually when Iowa scores 12 points, they win a game. Yeah. But nobody told Iowa that Penn State knows how to play offense. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, the Tennessee Titans were at that game, including their general manager. So, yeah. And the other Big Ten game I watched was uh, Wisconsin against Michigan State, where Wisconsin just dominated them in the Wisconsin fashion. Oh, I believe man. the final score was like 38 to nothing. 38 to nothing. I'm sorry you had to watch that. I wanted yeah. to watch that. I wanted to tune in and watch Wisconsin play Wisconsin ball, but it was so hard to watch yeah. Michigan State play football. Um, I would like to apologize to Michigan State fans for having to watch this football team. Someone should tell Michigan State that you can't really tank in NCAA. No. You can't tank for two. No, no, you, you can't. T- you, no, tanking doesn't work. No. Um, I'm pretty sure Wisconsin could have won this game with their second string players. Yeah. I watched their second string players play at the end of the game, and they looked great too. Yep. And Jonathan Taylor, he's a, I believe he'll be a Heisman finalist. Um, he's like the, yeah, he's like the two of last year. He just sits out of second house because <laughs> it was not so, up so big. The the game was absolutely over when probably my favorite play happened in the game, only because of who was involved. When Rocky Lombardi was intercepted by Rashad Wild Goose, which <laughs> then ensued the Wild Goose chase. Yeah, Bye. Uh, that's the uh, entrance into the name of the name of the year pool. Yep, uh, all name team Rocky Lombardi and Rashad Wild Goose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michigan State only had the ball for seven minutes the entire first half. That's Wisconsin football, and only totaled thirty-eight offensive yards. Yeah, and. I don't know how much of that is Wisconsin football and how much of that is Michigan State football. Yeah. Um, I know that, that Wisconsin likes to hold the ball and maintain time of possession and all that jazz. But, man, Michigan State, you've got to be able to get more than seven minutes a half yeah. of football. Well, we found one thing that's uglier than Michigan State's alternate uniforms. Their offense. Zing. Have you seen alternate uniforms? <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of Indian food almost. Yeah, their their alternate uniforms is um is like the off brand version of the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> so I believe that's enough talk of the classic Big Ten <laughs> football. I'll say. So there are some uh, big games coming up this weekend. Uh, what were some of your games that you're keeping an eye on? 
I'm looking at uh, LSU and Mississippi State. Mississippi State has a a better defensive secondary. Um, I haven't heard whether or not yet their their guys from the uh, on again off again suspended not suspended list will be playing. PAPN has done some research into that and has uh, um, kind of explained a little bit about why they are doing it in such a way where they suspend a player for six games, but they get to pick which six games it's going to be. Um, and I don't know if he's going to be playing this game. Uh, I know that they'll have a linebacker and a safety um, that may or may not start due to that. Um, but if they do, it's going to be a pretty heavy a pretty heavy defense for LSU. Yeah. Um, I think that if Mississippi State had any sort of competent offense, then they would make it a game because I believe they have a really good matchup against Joe Burrow and against that offense that they run defensively, but they just can't seem to do anything on offense to, to match their defensive prowess. Um, I still think yeah. LSU comes out on top. Yeah, for LSU, um, not only Burroughs is a legitimate NFL draft prospect now, but uh, but one their receivers, uh, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, they're legitimate NFL prospects when they are able to go pro. So, and also on their defense, not only Grant Elpit. And Derek Stingley, he he rebounded nicely against Florida after being picked on last game. So, but he is a true freshman, so he has a while yet. Also, their pass rusher Kalevon Chason. Chason. Yeah, he wears number eighteen for a reason. And you know, number eighteen at LSU is pretty damn special. So, do you know why that is? I'm not sure why, but I just know it's like one of their big numbers that just circulates among their best players every year. So, yeah, I wrote on Twitter uh, last weekend that Derek Stingley has the potential to wear number seven eventually for that defense. And, you know, that number seven is pretty special for for LSU because, you know, Patrick Peterson and Honey Badger wore it. And a greedy Williams wore it once, so you know that that's a strong lineage that Stingley has to live up to. And Mississippi State has a couple of corners named. Um, one of them is Cameron Dantzler. He's a he's a pretty good draft prospect in his own right. So I believe LSU will run away with it in the end. Yeah, there's another SEC game I have my eye on is um is Florida against South Carolina because I want to see how Florida rebounds after her loss like that. And to see how South Carolina responds after an upset win. I'm going to be keeping an eye on whether or not uh, Zuniga and Grenard are going to be back. Because if they're back, yeah. then uh, I honestly don't give SC a chance. But it's going to be another really painful game. Not really a painful game to watch, but there's going to be a lot of, a lot of hard hitting in this game. One of my favorite stories from the Georgia game Will Muschamp talking about his defensive tackle, the Javon Kinlo, when he wanted to pull him out of the game and give him a breather. And uh, Javon Kinlo essentially said, F that, I'm going in. And, yeah. Like just his, his drive and his just love for the game is infectious. You see him out there and all of a sudden, like everyone else gets pumped up. So, yeah. If they can exploit the, uh, the Florida offensive line and uh, give Trask uh, a little bit of pressure. They've proven now with stopping Georgia that they're not inept on defense. Uh, but the question will be if they have enough offense to match what their defense can do. Mm-hmm. Kinlaw is like one of my favorite stories this year of any draft prospect. I believe he went to JUCO and he was homeless for a little bit before he got to South Carolina and earned the scholarship. He's one of the, I think if you go read draft network, the draftnetwork.com, they have a story on him that goes into further detail, but he's had a, he's had a hard life, but he's, it looks like he's finally showing out this year. So I'm rooting for the kid. 
Also, South Carolina has an edge prospect prospect named uh, DJ Wanham. He's pretty solid as well. I think he's a mid-round pick in the 2020 draft. So do you think Florida's receivers challenge the South Carolina secondary at all, unlike Georgia? I think it'll be very similar. Um, yeah. I think that uh, Florida's does have the ability to take the top off the, the defense, mm-hmm. um, unlike Georgia did. I think that they have a tight end that's a matchup problem for almost everybody else. And yeah, Kyle Pitts. Yeah, and yeah, it would have been funny if he went to Pittsburgh. Uh, um, <laughs> and Freddie Swain has proven himself in the the, uh, the last couple of games yeah. to be a viable threat over the top. Um, so between uh, Kyle Pitts exploiting the the inside matchup and Swain taking the top off the defense. And Tyree Cleveland being uh, a great secondary option, it's going to be difficult for SC to contain the passing game through the air. They're going to have to do it by making sure that Trask is constantly under pressure. Yeah. By the way, guys, if you want to read the uh, Kinlaw story, it's uh, it's written by Jordan Reed of the Draft Network. His Twitter is uh, J.R. Reed, J. Reed NFL, so please give him a follow. He's one of the best analysts out there. Uh, sorry for that aside. <laughs> That's fine. Would you, uh, would you tweet that out? Do you have a link to yeah, that? I'll t- yeah, I'll tweet it out. All right. And another SEC game I'm following this weekend is Kentucky against Georgia. Why on earth for Joe? Because Kentucky has a prospect, receiver prospect, I'm really interested in watching. Up, his name is um, Lynn Bowden Jr. No relation to Bobby Bowden, but uh, he's doing pretty good this year, according to all reports. And I want to see how Georgia comes back after up being upset like that. <laughs> Reportedly, South Carolina tore up some of the hedges, so Georgia's gonna be pissed off about that a little bit. Uh, anyone that goes into yeah. to Sanford Stadium and wins takes back a little piece of the hedge with them. Yeah, this is going to be a bloodbath game for me, much like uh, Penn State was the Penn State-Maryland game after they yeah. nearly lost to Pitt. Um, this is going to be uh, Georgia's game where they just take out all of the aggression of the loss to SC on a poor Kentucky team. They're a 25-point favorite, and I wouldn't be surprised if they blew past that. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to, if Georgia covers. So what do you think of the Penn State against Michigan game? Um, it's going to look a lot like the Penn State-Iowa game, but Penn State's going to score more points. Michigan doesn't have quite the stalwart of an offense that Iowa does mm-hmm. and prove that they too sometimes struggle putting sevens on the board. And yeah. if you can't put up a seven on a board against Penn state, you're probably not going to win. I think I've got Penn state 32 Michigan 15 on this one. I would say about the same as well. A couple of guys, Penn State guys, I have my eye on draft-wise is the their edge prospect, Yator Grossmatos. He's really athletic, and he has the height, weight, length that NFL teams really like. He was really highly graded coming into the year, so I haven't watched much of Penn State as I want to, but um, I'll keep an eye on him. And also... They have a redshirt sophomore receiver named KJ Hamler. He's really explosive. He could be, I compare him to a a smaller Deshaun Jackson. Hmm. So we'll see if uh, Michigan's cornerbacks can stop him because Michigan has a really good corner. I think is, this battle is going to be a trench battle. See, whoever wins that is going to win the game. Uh, if Michigan turns it into a all-out air assault, 
um, then I think that's when Penn State gets into trouble. But other mm-hmm. than that, I'm pretty sure I, I feel like Penn State's going to control this game pretty much yeah. from start to finish. There's also another game I'm keeping an eye on the third Saturday in October, Alabama and Tennessee. And Tennessee hasn't beaten Alabama since 2007, so we don't expect that to change anytime soon. Uh, yeah, um, I have a hard time wanting to watch this game. This is going to give Saban his 19th win over former assistants. Um, Jeremy mm-hmm. Pruitt was his DC last year. Uh, he's currently undefeated against his former assistant. Yeah. And this game is the largest point spread on the week um, at 34 and a half points. Tennessee is on kind of a, uh, a bit of an uptick. They, they won a game they were supposed to lose last week, and so they're really feeling good about themselves. They're going to come in. They're going to look like they want it. They're going to say that they want it. They're going to see it in their eyes that they want it. But it's not going to be pretty for them. No, they might keep it competitive for maybe a quarter, maybe half a quarter. <laughs> you know, you know, it's pretty bad when your own coach comes out and starts joking about Alabama, how much, how many points they're going to put up. And that's pretty sad. Because uh, Jeremy Pruitt actually came out and said, oh, Alabama has to try not to score 100 points every game. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt also doesn't know what asparagus is. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors on the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. How about some Pac-12 games on the upcoming schedule? What are you interested in? How about some Pac-12 games? Um, yeah, it's very light on the docket. I have my eye on the Colorado-Washington State game. Uh, These are teams that are both coming off of very different types of losses. I think Colorado, after a week, will have a chance to heal up a little bit and get some of their their starting players back, Uh, especially with a LaVisca Schnault that's at 100%. Right now, Washington State is favored by 13.5. I don't think it's going to be that close. I actually think I've got Colorado uh, with the outright win here. I think we can count on Washington State cooking it again. Yeah. Um, again. Yes. Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And even uh, Mike Leach himself has admitted that a Buffalo is going to be pretty hard to tangle with. He said that a Buffalo is utterly outstanding. So he understands the. the formidable opponent that the Buffalo is and on in his preseason speech about defeating mascots that was the only one that he didn't come up with a solution to so I think that uh, Mel Tucker comes in and out coaches Mike Leach because Mike Leach has already admitted that he doesn't have a solution to the Buffalo Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, we have our usual, unusual Thursday. Yeah, is it? Yeah, it's Thursday night game of UCLA against Stanford. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, UCLA is missing their, arguably their top receiver, um, Theo Howard, who decided to transfer because apparently UCLA's graduation grad school requirements are insanely tough. But uh, I don't know. We'll see where we'll we'll see how where Howard goes. Yeah. And they also reportedly lost another transfer, Darnay Holmes. So we'll see how the Bruins with an undermanned squad go against the Cardinal. It's not going to be pretty in many many different ways. Yeah. I don't think I have the constitution to watch UCLA play football anymore. Believe it or not, UCLA is still in the race for the Pac-12 South. Everybody's still in the race for Pac-12 South. Yeah, but that's that's, that's how messed up a division that is. Speaking of the Pac-12 South, and um, Arizona State is going to Utah this weekend, so we'll see how we'll see how that one turns out. Uh, the high of Arizona State coming off a last-minute win against Utah's domination. We'll see. Utah comes out big. Um, again, they just looked unstoppable against Oregon State. Um, that could have just been uh, it, because it was Oregon State, but they looked mm-hmm. healthy. They looked uh, aggressive, and it's in Utah with a healthy team coming off a big win. They're going to be hard to stop. Yeah, the matchups I'm watching draft-wise is um, Arizona State center. Cole Cabral against Utah's defensive tackle, Lakey Fotu, two of the best offensive and defensive line linemen in the conference. So we'll see how that turns out. And also Utah's edge, edge rusher, Bradley Ane, Anai. He's, I believe he's the Pac-12's best pass rusher this year and last year as well. So we'll see how he does against Arizona State's tackles. I won't tell Mace Funi you said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, draft eligible tackle edge rushers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, oh, keep an eye out for my uh, draft draft article for the all Pac-12 team coming up next week. Also, one matchup I'm watching, another matchup I'm watching is Brandon Ayuk. Against uh, Utah's cornerback, um, Jalen Johnson. I think that'll be a good matchup for Utah. And Arizona State's running back, Eno Benjamin. He's arguably the second best running back in the conference behind um, Zach Moss. And uh, so it'll be interesting to watch the battle of the running backs, the top two running backs in the conference. Apologies to C.J. Riddell and Travis Dye. I believe I believe that Moss and Benjamin are the best two running backs this year. So, how many total rushing yards do you see in this game? Combined. Combined between the two teams. Probably about two hundred. All right, I'm taking the over on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Arizona State's ch- only chances to. Uh, get to the second level of Utah's defense because um, Utah's linebackers aren't that good. So <laughs> that's their only chance. Do you have any interest in the Oregon State-Cal game at all? I do. I, I, I want to see how Oregon State rebounds after being dominated like that against a pretty solid Cal defense. I want to see if Evan Weaver actually makes all the tackles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is Cal's first game since uh, since Oregon, and yeah. both teams uh, took pretty significant steps back uh, yeah. in the last game, where Oregon State was um, looked like they were were building up to something and then fell off a cliff. Uh, same thing with Cal; they both are looking for a bounce back game, and we're gonna see who bounce bounces back the best. Yeah, we'll see if. Uh... Uh, we'll see if Evan Weaver's little Tebow remake, speech remake has any effect on his teammates. 
Because if you if you guys remember from maybe a decade ago, I believe. I, I yeah, I think it was a decade ago where Tim Tebow gave this passionate speech after losing to some some opponent. We yeah, basically he basically called his teammates, and we'll see if that has any effect. I don't believe it will, because Cal's limitations on offense are very well documented. Yeah, another Pac-12 game I have an eye on is Arizona and USC. Yeah, this will be interesting. Um, both teams are very, uh, both teams are very streaky. Um, I would give USC the edge on this one only because it's at home. Um, yeah, I feel like USC. Uh, when they they go into a game and establish whether or not the game is winnable within the first six minutes or so, and then if it's not, then they just kind of coast through the rest of the game. And if it is, then that's when they play as hard as they can for as long as they can until they realize it's not it's not winnable. Then I think that Arizona is going to come in, and USC is going to see them as winnable. I think Arizona is kind of a is a little bit of a fraudulent team. Two of their four wins uh, were only one-score victories over Cal and UCLA. Um, Granted, they did give Washington a drubbing, um, and they lost to Hawaii, but that's kind of a trend in the Pac-12. But when Arizona's on Washington game aside, um, they're only just a little bit better than the people they're playing. And I think that they need to be a little yeah. bit better than a little bit better than USC to come out of this game. I don't think US I don't think Arizona can keep up with USC's receivers. Uh Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughns, and and uh Amon Ross St. Brown. Also USC has a pair of good running backs in uh in I, I believe it's Markel or Marcel Step and Maya PI. So we'll see if Arizona can keep up. I believe that USC runs away with it because unless, um, unless Michael Vick, Khalil Tate shows up, I think that USC will get their act together for this game. Yeah, that wraps up our Pac-12 preview segment for the weekend. Now moving on to the game of the weekend for the Pac-12. And possibly nationally, because the schedule this week is a little bit light on the marquee matchups. It's Oregon against those mistakes on the Montlake. <laughs> so who do you have winning this game? I have Oregon winning this game. But depending on which Jacob Eason shows up, they'll either win it by a little or win it by a lot. Washington was exposed about having a very non-creative defense at Arizona. And mm-hmm. uh, if we offensively scheme like we did against Colorado, we can exploit that pretty significantly. Yeah, um, I think that our defense isn't really a good matchup against what Washington does offensively. It's all going to depend on if the calm, cool, collected uh, sniper arm Jacob Eason shows up or if the wild, fire-headed Jacob Eason comes out, then uh, we should probably have more picks than we did against Colorado. Yeah, the key matchup for me in this game is the linebackers. Oregon linebackers against the Washington tight end Miles Br- or Hunter Bryant rather, mm-hmm. and the their running back, uh, I think it's Selvin Ahmed. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they stop those two, if the linebackers if the linebackers can stop stop those two, I believe the Ducks secondary can match up to their receivers Aaron Fuller. So we'll we'll see how we'll see how that matches up. Yeah, I'm looking at the how the Washington offensive line is going to handle yeah. Oregon's defense. Um, I've seen I've seen their offensive line do some pretty amazing things, especially against uh, against BYU and against USC, and just how they 
were able to employ that zone blocking scheme to the best of its ability. Um, there were times where I saw Trey Adams take on guys that were stunting from the other side of the line just because, and like, almost like he knew it was going to happen. Um, and as long as uh, um, we can stay healthy and keep our guys in the field. Um, yeah. Uh, Washington's offensive line is probably the second best in the conference behind Oregon. Yeah. It's, in terms of draft prospects. Yeah. And like, even in terms of size yeah. and yeah. ability, they have, they're kind of getting back to that. Um, not necessarily an SEC offensive line, but like a Big Ten offensive line uh, look. Uh-huh. Just in how they're built and, and how they're run. Yep. Um, so, well, yeah, we'll see if uh, uh, Fat Mac can match up with their center, Nick Harris. <laughs> that should be a pretty good matchup between two highly rated draft prospects and see how Kayvon Thibodeau does against Trey Adams, their star left tackle. So, do you have any score predictions? Well, like I said, it's going to all depend on whether or not Dr. Jekyll Jacob Eason shows up or the Mr. Hyde Jacob Eason shows up. I'm going to go out and say I think that he's going to be shaken up enough by the speed of our defense to be thrown into poor decision-making early and often. So, I'll probably say Oregon... 55, Washington 17. Wow, that's bold. <laughs> but we'll only score like 35 of those points on offense. Yeah. I think our, our defense and special teams will shine the brightest that we've seen them yet. Yeah, it's a, um, I believe that this is the best opponent that each other has faced to date. Well, I mean, we played Auburn. Yeah. Well, the second best, second best <laughs> for Dead Duck, but um, in conference play is the best. So I'll say um, Oregon thirty and Washington twenty-three. Mm, a close one. Yeah. All right. It's it's a road game, so you never know with those with the Ducks. So. Yeah, we'll see how it all turns out at uh, 12.30 Pacific this Saturday. I think that believe, that's a good uh, good point to wrap up our preview for Oregon against the uh, mistakes by the Montlake. Okay, we have uh, news across several fronts for the Ducks, namely being Pro Football put out an article, Pro Football Focus put out an article today Saying I referenced this earlier, saying they uh, they wrote about their midseason All Americans. Three ducks made the list. Uh, they are uh, Peni Sewell, hashtag Peni for Heisman, and um, Jacob Breland, uh, come back soon, please, and Diamador Lenoir. Whom the Angels named Lenoir? And Shane Lemieux made the second team. So congratulations to those four players for making it on such a pre- prestigious list. Yeah, hashtag Peni for Heisman is a real thing, folks. Join the wagon. Peni for Heisman. Uh, Pro Football Focus wrote that he was their highest-graded true freshman offensive tackle ever. Oh. And he's he's on pace for being the highest-graded offensive tackle season ever. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> Because he's getting into, you know, Orlando Pace territory with that kind of stuff. I put it on Twitter the other day that he's on um he's on pace to become Orlando Orlando Pace and Joe Thomas all rolling roll into one. And Joe Thomas is uh should be a Hall of Famer. I would hate to see the tortilla that has to roll Orlando Pace and Joe Thomas into one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very large, very yeah. large piece of bread. Yeah. Also, also on the, um, this kind of basketball news, but uh, our, five, our five-star recruit, uh, Nifale Dante, has been suspended for the first nine games of the season. 
Well, he hasn't been suspended. Um, yeah. He was having trouble with his, the admissions process, yeah. and he won't officially be able to join the team yeah. uh, until December 14th, uh, when he officially will become enrolled at U of O. Yeah. Although this is, this still isn't overall a bad thing because he was a 2020 prospect that reclassified this year uh, so we could um, enroll early and so he's still enrolling a lot earlier than next year just not quite as early as we would like him to. yeah yeah it's a uh, hopefully he doesn't pull a bowl bowl and get hurt early hopefully he's around for the long haul I haven't read about his draft prospects next year, so I've heard that he's a he's a lottery pick. He so is, I don't know. Uh, yeah. According to uh, NBADraft.net, he's the number thirteen uh, overall pick in next year's draft. So definitely a lottery pick, on the same level, maybe a little bit lower than Bol Bol was to begin the season last year. Mm -hmm. And more unfortunate news for a former Duck. Um, tonight it was made official by the Tennessee Titans that uh, Mar Marcus Mariota has been benched for Ryan Tannehill. You can read my uh, thoughts on it in the article that I posted earlier tonight on Addicted to Quack. It's safe to say that uh, the odds aren't good that he comes back to Nashville next year. Also, a couple of weeks ago, um, I don't it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nike shut down a certain track program that was for pro athletes that were former Ducks. So due to a suspension of the director for, I believe it was PEDs, but correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um, that's sad to see as well. Oh yeah. Hopefully, was, the surprising thing is that it was a name that was as recognizable as yeah. Alberto Salazar. Um, yeah. I remember I was at the the track meet where he ran his last mile before he retired, and I felt yeah. that was really special. Um, Alberto Salazar kind of holds a special place in my heart. He was he was a big deal back when I was running. Um, or when I ran in high school and in college, and to see, um, to see him stoop to such a level is surprising and, and shameful. Um, my closing thoughts are that last weekend, or yeah, I believe it was last weekend, the the Tennessee Titans fan base lost a hero, an icon due to un unforeseen circumstances. His name was Matt Neely. And it's uh he was very young. He's younger than I am. And he was I believe he was twenty nine. And he unexpectedly passed away last weekend and he was a hero to many of the Titans fans. And um it, it was heartbreaking. I believe his funeral was today or or what his viewing was today and his funerals tomorrow, I believe. I have to go back and check. But he was one of my favorite followers on Twitter. And he was a friend to many in Nashville. Regardless of your fandom, he was he was a friend. And he was the type of person that would give a shirt off his back to help somebody out. And we need more people in this world like that. And and I know the Titans are struggling right now on the field, but off the field, he was one of the best guy humans, human beings ever. And the Titans fan base will sorely, sorely miss a guy like him. And he also helped on the Busing with the Boys podcast. So please give that a listen. Um, yeah, all of Titans Nation is heartbroken right now, including myself. I wish nothing but nothing but the best for Miss Chelsea, and I wish the good Lord will give her strength and guidance and wisdom in these trying times. And R.I.P. Matt.
We'll, we'll love you forever. And I believe that wraps up for, for our show for today. I am at underscore Duke Tom. Uh, ducking Nulls 24-7. And please give us a follow and follow the Addicted to Quack Twitter account as well as Addicted to Quack. And go Ducks. Go Ducks.